It is Thursday, September 23rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 3 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, we're all a little sick over here, but I've got the caffeine, i got the vitamin C, i got the ibuprofen. I'm going to pull it together for this Week 3 Preview. That's what you got to do, man. we got, what, 14 weeks to go? We're, we're, we're just getting into this thing. Yeah, Week 3 seems like we're moving along a little <laughs> bit, though. And we're going to move yeah. right into that Thursday night game, Carolina at Houston. And, I, I mean, it's another one where you want to scoff at it heading in, but primetime games have been pretty good lately. So I'll hold out a little bit of optimism, but I'm not sure how long I'm going to be hold, going to be able to hold on to it because the Panthers are eight-point road favorites in this one. That's up one from where it opened. It's a 43-and-a-half point over-under, and all the points are on the Panthers' side mm-hmm. – because it's Houston and because Houston now is down to, I don't know, third quarterback. I'm not sure exactly how you rank them at this point. We'll get to Davis Mills. But, I mean, the Carolina side is the only one with any attractive options here. It is. Um, and I, I guess we start with Sam Darnold, who I think is one of the better streaming options this week. Um, largely because of the matchup, but also because he you know he's playing well in both real life and in fantasy. Uh, Darnold's finished quarterback 16 and quarterback 14 in the first two weeks. So, you know, like, nothing big, but he also, you know, he, he's been fine if you've had to use him and this is his best matchup so far. He's 13th in PFF passing grades through two weeks. And the other thing helping him too is Carolina's seventh in situation neutral pass rate. We talked about that last week too, and it continued in week two. It looks like a pass leaning offense, which makes sense. And that obviously helps Darnold's fantasy production. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey, we're basically never going to talk about on the show unless he gets hurt, but a wide receiver, I think it's something worth discussing because DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson have basically switched roles from where they were last season and kind of gone back to what we thought that they would be heading into last year. The, the average depth, a target according to pro football reference stand at nine and a half for dj Moore, 21 yards for robbie anderson i mean that number is obviously coming down at some point for anderson but it's more like what he was with sam darnold with the jets and we were surprised that he was getting shorter stuff last year it seems like they're flipping that this season and that's probably part of why robbie anderson has not really helped our fantasy team so far yeah, and I mean, in, in general, we you know we like those long passes. We like the air yards, um, but it does make players more volatile from week to week, especially with Anderson. We, he has just a 12% target share so far. Now, it was 9% in week one. It went up to 16% in week two. If he can be around 16, 17, 18%, like he, he's still going to be a wide receiver three for you. Um, his playing time is right in line where it is where it was last year. So I, I'd stick with him in most cases, especially in this matchup tonight. But I mean, it, to me, it's pretty clear that DJ Moore is the the top wide receiver in Carolina now. You know, he's dominating market share. Um, if, if you watch the games, like Carolina's designing stuff for DJ Moore, so he, he's your top guy. You know, he's a top twenty wide out basically every week. Anderson for me is is still a wide receiver three, um, especially in good matchups like we have in this game. Yeah, it's kind of funny how they shifted the usage between last year and this year, considering the same coaching staff and most of the same players. But 19 targets for DJ Moore so far through two games, just nine for Robbie Anderson. I think that'll probably get a little bit closer, but I do expect DJ Moore to remain the number one. Terrace Marshall also tied with Robbie Anderson in targets, but Anderson's still well ahead of Marshall in both snaps and routes. So I think that we'll see a little bit of separation come between Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall, but I also think that we're going to see games where either one is ahead of the other. I doubt that we're going. there's going to be – I don't know, a wide gap between them if things continue as they've started. Yeah, the problem last week was you had Brandon Zilstra stealing targets from both of these guys. Hopefully that doesn't continue going forward. Yeah, absolutely. On the Houston side, 
I mean, absolutely nothing looks mildly interesting besides Brandon Cooks. Cooks, 11th in PPR points so far, 6th among wide receivers in targets after 14 of them in Week 2. We'll see what Davis Mills means for that target share this week, as well as the success on those targets. It's worth noting, at least for Davis Mills, that Houston has not elevated Jeff Driscoll ahead of him. Jeff Driscoll was on the practice squad. It's going to be active, but it looks like he's just going to be Davis Mills's uh, backup and maybe insurance policy here. I mean, if you're Houston, you might as well get Mills out there and see what he has. Um, what he's shown so far has not been good. You know, last week wasn't good. He was eight for 18 for 102 yards, one TD, one interception. He was 32nd for the week among 34 qualifiers in PFF passing grades. Even in the preseason, he was 76th out of 79 qualifiers in PFF passing grades. So I'm expecting it to be ugly. Um, this Carolina defense, by the way, first in football outsiders DVOA, first against the run and the pass. So I, I don't think they'll finish there, but I, I am buying this as like a, a good defense, maybe a top 10 defense, which again, it just makes all these Texans options even less attractive. Mm-hmm. And speaking of unattractive, there's the backfield in Houston where we got touchdowns from three different running backs in week one. But then last week we watched them split 25 carries and five targets. Philip Lindsay was the high PPR score in week two because he happened to get a 22 yard touchdown reception on his only catch of the game. Um, but even he was short of 10 points. It's, it's really an easy situation to avoid completely. For sure. And, you know, uh, Mark Ingram still got the, the 14 carries. He only played 31% of the snaps though. Like it was David Johnson leading the way in snaps. Like you said, Lindsay leading in fantasy points. And, and that that's the game script we're going to get most weeks where, you know, they're not going to be able to feed David Johnson or sorry, Mark Ingram. 26 carries, so the less investment in Houston's backfield, the better for you. Absolutely. And let's move on from that game to Chicago at Cleveland. Browns by seven, over under 45 and a half. But the story here is that it's going to be Justin Fields' time. Cleveland, I think, looked in the preseason like it would be a tough matchup if Justin Fields got on the field this early. And obviously it's expedited by the Andy Dalton injuries last week. But through two weeks, uh, just 25th in Football Outsiders DVOA is the Cleveland defense, 31st against the pass. Granted, they had to face Patrick Mahomes in week one, but they also faced the Texans last week. Tyrod Taylor left that game with a 144.3 passer rating and two total touchdowns. Yeah, I was going to say, Taylor was ripping them up. Um, so it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not an ideal matchup for Fields first start on the road, um, but I think it's doable. But I mean, the reason you're playing him is for the rushing, obviously, um, you know, and, and from the second he stepped on the field in the preseason, like you, you saw the rushing ability translate. So uh, Fields played 92 preseason snaps. That's about a game and a half's worth of snaps. He had 92 rushing yards and a touchdown in that time. So like, I, you know, I think you can project him for 40 to 50 rushing yards. Wouldn't it be surprising if he you know gets up over that I, t- to me, Fields is like cl- close in projection to, to Jalen hurts, like similar rushing, but the passing might be iffy. Um, but, you know, Hertz has been a you know top 10 fantasy quarterback in all of the starts so far. So I think Fields has a chance to finish as a quarterback one this week. Yeah. And Hertz has yet to finish a game with less than 62 rushing yards as a starter. Um, Justin Fields was not as frequent a runner as Jalen Hurts in college, but he is just as talented a runner. So if he takes off, he's certainly capable of gaining the yards and he's a better passer. I mean, that's why he was an early first round pick rather than a second round pick like Jalen Hurts. Still a fringe fantasy starter for me in this first one, but the kind of fringe fantasy starter that if Justin Fields finished sixth this week because he ran for yeah. 80 yards, it wouldn't shock me. 
he's just gonna be more fun to start too than like even Sam Darnold. So if you want, if you want to enjoy your week three, you know, th- throw Fields in there. You've been waiting all this time. Yeah, know the risk all this time. We got through two games so two far. Uh, yeah, so I mean, know the risk going in, but there is definitely upside if you feel like taking a chance. And in a week yeah. where people are actually excited to play D- Daniel Jones, I mean, there's some reason to play Justin Fields. Yes. Um, elsewhere on that Bears lineup, Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, I think belong in most lineups. And I'm not really looking beyond that this week, especially because Darnell Mooney was limited Wednesday with an injury. Okay, yeah, that'll be worth keeping an eye on. I mean, Mooney's usage has been pretty solid so far. He's actually tied with uh, Allen Robinson for the team lead in targets. He, he's run a route on 96% of the dropbacks. Like, if you if you expect Fields to kind of elevate the offense, which I do, um, you know, Mooney becomes more interesting. You know, he's still in like wide receiver four territory this week for us, but um, you know, he, he's someone who you know could become a fantasy factor if Fields sticks in there. Yes, I agree. I like the usage on Mooney so far. And if things look good, I mean, as, as soon as next week, I think we could be using all of those bears on the Cleveland side of this one, Odell Beckham Jr. Full practice participant Wednesday. I mean, it was frustrating after like a positive summer for him that he was inactive the first two weeks, but it might ultimately be a good thing that they gave him a couple of weeks off to make sure he's all the way back before getting Beckham out on the field. And if he does return to this game, which he certainly seems on track to do, He'll be doing so with no Jarvis Landry for at least the next right. three weeks. Yeah, no Landry and a great matchup too. I mean, we've talked about these these Bears cornerbacks, and through two weeks, they're they're twenty eighth in fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. They've allowed five wide receiver touchdowns through two games already. So I, I would, you know, unless we hear like Sunday morning that back comes down some snap count, I would lean towards using him as like a wide receiver three this week. Yeah, definitely an upside guy down in that range. I agree. Um, as I said, no Jarvis Landry for a while. Nobody on the team has more than eight targets through two games. And the two guys tied for the team lead are Austin Hooper and David Njoku. So, I mean, really, there's not a whole lot else to like on that Cleveland pass offense right now. We'll see where it goes. And it doesn't help anything that Baker Mayfield is dealing with a left shoulder injury. It doesn't sound like it's going to affect his availability for this game. But, I mean, if, a, if it's already starting out as kind of a low-ceiling passing attack, I mean, having an injury with the quarterback is certainly not going to help it. Yeah, uh, Baker briefly left last week's game with that injury and you know, was able to came, come back and finish it out. So he should be okay. Um, yeah, the tight the tight ends, like, like there's obviously opportunity for them. I mean, you know, they were the focal points of the passing game last week after Jarvis Landry left. But, I mean, it's it's a three-man committee. Like, after, you know, kind of seemed like Njoku might be emerging in week one, Austin Hooper got back to leading the group in routes and targets in week two. So I, I guess Hooper is still the best bet, but, like, you know, it's a three-way committee with Harrison Bryant involved as well. Yeah, they're both kind of stashes for me at this point. I will say Austin Hooper got dropped in my FFPC main event league this week, and I I think I'm eyeing that pickup for next week, you know, as kind of a bench stash. By the way, the lone touchdown reception among Browns through two games is Demetric Felton, that running back slash wide receiver. That was a great great touchdown, too. That was impressive. It was. Kareem Hunt, of course, in his usual RB3 territory, more likely to get carries if this game goes the way the Vegas line says. Again, it's a big line in favor of Cleveland, but – that would also make Kareem Hunt less likely to get reception. So tough to say what kind of game flow we want if we're Kareem Hunt owners. Yeah, I would say the usage between Chubb and Hunt has been closer than I expected through two weeks. And it's only two weeks, you know, the Houston game, they kind of coasted to a victory. So I'm, I'm at least keeping an eye on it. You know, maybe maybe you're downgrading Chubb a bit and upgrading Hunt. Um, but, it, you know, it's such a good running game that you can kind of bank on the, the the plus efficiency for Han. So I do think he's fine as like an RB3 or flex. Yeah, especially when the line is strongly in their favor like this. Yeah. Arizona at Jacksonville, the Cardinals by seven and a half, over under a 52 for this game. Second highest implied total of the week. 
I mean, you play everybody on the Arizona side at some level. We're going to have to watch DeAndre Hopkins. He missed Wednesday with a rib injury. Do we know anything else about that, Jared? Nope, it's all I've seen so far. Um, man, Hopkins hasn't missed many games in his career, so I'd bet on him playing. But if it, if it if he doesn't, then it kind of clears things up. We know AJ Green, Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk will be on the field, you know, basically the entire game. So I think they'd all be nice fantasy options if Hopkins is out. Rondale Moore is coming off a big game, and the numbers there were inflated by that ridiculously open 77-yard touchdown he got, mm-hmm. but he has been targeted on 34% of his route so far by the PFF numbers. The nearest Cardinal in that category, and that's dividing targets by routes, is A.J. Green at 17.9%. So I'm ready to admit that I was wrong on Rondale Moore because clearly when he does get on the field, yeah. they're looking to get him involved. He's wide receiver 43 in our PPR ranks for this week. So, you know, not outlandish on Rondell Moore yet. We're not saying start him over that guy you drafted in round four, but uh, he's doing things. Yeah, I mean, he he still needs the playing time to come up. Like, he, he's not going to keep getting targeted on, what would you say, 34% of his routes. Like, that, that's that's not going to continue. I, I think the playing time is going to come up. It already did from week one to week two. He ran her out on 38% of the pass, pass plays in the opener. That was up to 57 percent in week two that was still fourth among cardinals wideouts though you know hopkins green kirk were still ahead of him um but yeah like you said it's it's clear they're looking to get the ball in Moore's hands when he's on the field so he's usable now um it just if you want him to become like a reliable weekly play you need you need those routes to come up even further expect some consistent uh, inconsistency i should say but he we're playing him down in the range where you know there's inconsistency so yep. he's in play and especially in this offense that scored a bunch of points through the first two weeks at running back chase edmonds has seen a hundred percent of the running back targets through two games so that makes him fairly easy to play like at the bottom of rb2 range maybe even higher than that in ppr leagues i mean obviously it depends on on what you have james connor uh, should be a better bet for carries in a game like this where they're favored by a bunch of points, obviously if things go as according to plan. Um, but the total lack of receptions makes it a little tougher to like him as anything more than a, I really need a running back play. Yeah. And Connor just still doesn't look good to me. And he's only averaging 3.3 yards per carry um, zero targets so far. So you know, he, he's not a guy I'd want to use. Like you said, the matchup is good enough where you know, maybe he pops in a short touchdown. We still really haven't seen who their goal line back is going to be you know it's probably Kyler Murray <laughs> um but we haven't seen any like true goal line carries for this team yet mm-hmm. LA Chargers at Kansas City Chiefs by six and a half over under a 54 and a half the Chiefs uh, of course sport the highest implied total on the slate as they do many weeks Chargers also had no Derwin James no Joey Bosa at Wednesday's practice so we'll have to watch their participation level this week they already missed Chris Harris their top corner last week he was still out Wednesday as well. So there could be significant injuries on that Chargers defense heading into this game, which will only strap them further against a tough offense. Justin Herbert, though, has hit 300 yards in each of his two meetings with the Chiefs so far. 311 and a passing touchdown plus a rushing touchdown in week two last year, which was his NFL debut, of course, after Tyrod Taylor's unfortunate incident. You know, I was just thinking we didn't include Justin Herbert in the buy, sell, hold report. Maybe we should have included him as a buy because he he he's finished quarterback 25 and quarterback 20 so far in fantasy points. Like he is playing so much better than that. And we know that the week one matchup was against Washington. That was pretty tough. Last week, he definitely disappointed against Dallas. Man, he, you know, Herbert had 83 passing yards and a touchdown called back by penalties in that game. Uh, there were some drops by the Chargers, like, and he, he just hasn't. He has, he's had bad touchdown luck so far. Just two passing touchdowns, a 2.3 percent touchdown rate. Like Herbert, to me, is still a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Um, we we just you know haven't got that production yet. It probably starts this week in you know what what should be a shootout against Kansas City. 
Yeah, he's the kind of guy that if you're sitting on Tom Brady and you're looking for an upgrade at running back or wide receiver, you could package Brady with something else and get Herbert plus a big upgrade at one of those other positions coming back. Yeah, definitely. The the Chargers, by the way, so they're fifth in situation neutral pace, so they're a fast-paced offense, and they're fourth in situation neutral pass rate, so they're throwing at a high percentage. So that, you know, it all it's, it's all there for Herbert. I th- I really think the points are going to start coming though. And this also looks like a positive matchup. Football Outsiders has the Chiefs as the second worst defense through two weeks. Chargers just 20th on offense, but there have been scoring opportunities. There have been touchdowns left on the field. I, I would, if I were betting this game, I would take the Chargers with the points because I think that they're capable of winning this game. Yeah, I don't know if they'll win, but I, do, I, I think they'll keep it close. And I think both teams will put plenty, plenty of points on the board. So I, I like the Chargers getting those points. Yeah, I'm not betting on them to win, but I won't be shocked if they ended up winning this game. Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, now Mike Williams are all easy starts among Chargers. Jared Cook is an option. He's in that range where really no tight end is truly attractive. I'd say starting with tight end 10, Dallas Goddard, in our rankings this week, and that depends some on Zach Ertz's status. But from there down, everybody has issues, and I think you can just kind of toss them all together in a hat and pick one. Yeah, I like Cook, though. I mean, the usage has been there, and he's running your out on, like, two-thirds of the pass plays. He saw eight targets in week one, five targets in week two. Um, he looks good. Again, Herbert looks good. Um, just kind of uh, investing in this Chargers offense, I think, is smart, and, you know, Cook is part of that. Yes, I agree with that. On the Chiefs' side, we know the obvious guys. Nicole Hardman, though, quietly had a solid week, too. Um, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle scored touchdowns, but Hardman played well ahead of those guys. 78% of the snaps versus 59% for Demarcus Robinson, 22% for Byron Pringle. And he tied Travis Kelsey for the team lead with eight targets. So I think Nicole Hardman is in that Rondale Moore territory. Yeah, I thought that was probably McCole Hardman's best game as a pro. Like, and he didn't make any massive plays. It wasn't a huge game in the box score, but like he didn't he didn't make any mistakes, which I feel like every game so far he's like, he's made at least one mistake and pissed Patrick Mahomes off. So I don't know, maybe he's trending up. Um, I, I still wouldn't want to use him in fantasy lineups. You know, I, I still think he's a, a a smaller part of this offense, but um, we'll see. He should definitely be stashed. You know, in case he finally does start to get it. Yeah, you could do worse. Clyde Edwards Delaire, speaking of worse, dead last among 36 <laughs> qualifying backs in both of the main football outsiders rushing efficiency metrics. And worse yet, Daryl Williams might be catching up to him in passing game usage after week one. So, okay, week one, Clyde Edwards Delaire led 30 to nine in routes. Last week, it was 16 for CEH, 11 for Daryl Williams. So, I don't know. Things are, things might be getting worse. Williams also got the team's first and only carry inside the five yard line last week. So it's, it's possible he's their goal line back. Um, Edwards Alaire is like bottom of the league in any rushing category. You can look at PFF rushing grade, elusive rating yards after contact per attempt. Like he's, he's not playing well, so that's not good. And then, you know, he, he's on the field for the chiefs offense. So you think that's good, but like the usage it's, it's just not great. Like the, it's a pass first offense. And Edwards Alaire is no better than third in line for targets. He might even be fourth behind Hardman at this point. So he Edwards Alaire finished 21st among running backs and expected fantasy points in week one. He was 42nd last week. So even just the, the usage says, you know, he's like a lower end RB2 slash RB3. And then if he's not playing well, it's, he's he's not even going to you know meet meet that usage. Yeah. My friend Mead Loop, who is a professor at Ithaca College and an avid fantasy player, called uh, CEH Devin Singletary this week, which makes sense. And if we were starting out as a mid-round draft pick and looking at it through that lens, 
it would look okay. It would look better what Clyde Edwards Elaire is doing so far, but it's because they took him at the end of round one because we all got excited about this, you know, new feature back for the Chiefs that he looks terrible at this point. And I mean, I think we just need to adjust our expectations. I don't think he's gonna hit the ceiling that we all thought was possible when he was drafted by the Chiefs. Yeah, and he's not he's not dead in fantasy. Like I think if he's your RB two. It's fine because, again, he's, you know, playing most of the snaps. There's going to be some bigger games just because of this offense. But, you know, I, I'm kind of done expecting Edwards Alaire to finish as even like a top 12 fantasy back this year. Washington at Buffalo Bills by seven and a half over under 45 and a half. I, Vegas doesn't seem to be respecting Taylor Heineke in this game. The guys now started three NFL games, one for Carolina back in 2018. Then the Washington playoff loss last year before last week's game. Threw for 274, 307, 336 in those games. He's got a 104.4 passer rating so far this year, completing 73.8% of his passes in about a game and a half this season. It's a tougher matchup, of course, though, this week against a Bills defense that Football Outsiders ranks third against the pass to date. Yeah, I think that Bills defense is probably the bigger reason why, you know, Washington's implied for just 19 points here. But yeah, Heineke is playing well. I mean, he was ninth in PFF passing grades last week. He... It's kind of the type of fantasy quarterback we want where, you know, he's, he's aggressive. Uh, he can run a little bit. Um, so I, I still think he's in play in two quarterback leagues. I mean, you shouldn't have to go there as a one quarterback league mm-hmm. spot starter, but you know, I think he's fine in two, two quarterback leagues, you know, should be playing from behind again here. I think he'll have plenty of volume. Yeah, and more importantly, he has certainly not been bad for Terry McLaurin in their limited time so far. This week is a tougher individual matchup for McLaurin. He's likely to see a lot of Tredavious White as opposed to James Bradbury in primary coverage, but – I mean, Terry McLaurin is probably going to be in both most lineups for teams that he's on. And they do. Washington moves him around, and I don't I don't think, like, Trey White goes into the slot. So I'm not super worried about the individual matchup. And, yeah, th- 30% target share for McLaurin from Heineke last week. So, you know, Heineke knew where to go with the ball. Mm-hmm. Logan Thomas remains Logan Thomas. I-, I think, Jared, we should just stick him at tight end 12 now in the weekly rankings through the rest of the year and talk about everybody else instead. Yep, he's he's not going to help you win weeks, but he's not going to cost you either, especially with so many you know tough tight end situations out there. Let's just hope that he doesn't lose any more touchdowns of Ricky Seals Jones. But that's really <laughs> the one Ricky Seals Jones highlight that we get a year, so we should be awesome I, now. I, I got to be honest, I I do this for a living. I did not know that Ricky Seals Jones was on Washington until he caught that football last week. Just call him Ricky Steals Jones now. <laughs> JD McKissick. I tweeted this last Friday after that Thursday night game against the Giants. All four of McKissick's carries. And four of his six targets came inside the final two minutes of the two halves in that game. Plus that long reception that he had also came in a two minute situation where it was outside of the final final two minutes, but it was when Washington was trying to get down the field quickly and score to come back against the Giants. So JD McKissick is the two minute back for Washington. And if they wind up in that situation a lot in a game, he's going to get a lot of work at that All that is to say McKissick can work out for you at times, but there are also going to be more games like week one where he touches the ball like three times. Yep. Yeah. You, you nailed it perfectly. Nothing changed in this backfield from week one to week two. Washington was just in more McKissick situations in week two. So he's still a guy I I would never want to mess with McKissick. And I mean, Gibson's going to be fine. Like he's going to be more volatile than your top five backs because he's not playing in every situation, but you know, he's, he's still the clear, lead runner and you know he's still gonna get plenty of volume in the passing game so you know don't don't panic over Antonio Gibson's week two yeah and we'll get to another situation that's very similar to this one in another game here I will say for McKissick's sake if this game goes the way that Vegas projects with that seven and a half line in favor of Buffalo could be a McKissick type game could be I just I don't want to you know 
I, I don't want to gamble on that. Right. Indianapolis at Tennessee Titans by five over under a 48 and a half. Carson Wentz is hobbling around on two sprained ankles. Apparently the Colts are still hoping that he's going to play in this game, which says a lot about their backup quarterbacks. And I say quarterbacks because they elevated Brett Hundley from the practice squad and he got primary first team reps in Wednesday practice reportedly ahead of Jacob Eason. Yeah, so that's obviously a situation to avoid in fantasy. Um, it sucks for Michael Pittman, too, coming off his breakout game um, against a tough Rams secondary, too. I mean, Pittman looked awesome in that game, you know, both in, like, contested situations, right, runs after the catch. Um, but, you know, with, with the quarterback situation, he's, he's kind of tough to trust in fantasy lineups. Hopefully, you know, Wentz can get healthy. because I, I do think Pittman can still be, like, a weekly wide receiver three if he has a healthy Wentz. Yes, I would be hanging on to Michael Pittman right now, but probably not starting him in week three if I can help it. This is how ugly it gets at tight end quickly (laughs) behind the elite guys. Jack Doyle has a single game of eight targets and five catches and is all of a sudden a hot name at the position. So he was the guy that was picked up by the owner that dropped Austin Hooper in my FFPC main event league. And, you know, maybe Jack Doyle is decent the rest of the way that it wasn't necessarily a fluke last week because he did run a lot more routes than Mo Ali Cox 34 to 13 in that category but week one it was just 24 to 20 in Doyle's favor so that's basically even which of those two things is closer to reality from here on we can't really answer that yet yeah that's always interesting interesting thing after week two it's like if, if you see something happen twice you can kind of bank on that going forward but when you get one thing week one, one thing week two, then like week three's got to be okay. You know which which one was the truth, week one or week two? So we'll see. You know about Doyle's usage in week three here. Um, I'll at least admit he's a better fantasy option than Mo Ali Cox going mm-hmm. forward. Um, but especially with with Indy's quarterback concerns, I don't think you want to mess with the tight ends this week. Yeah, not super interested here. And I mean, it's it's worth remembering he saw thirty three targets in thirteen games last year. So. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not looking back on a, a big season before this one. Jonathan Taylor, you kind of have to play. The rushing has not been good, though. 31st out of 36 qualifiers in Football Outsiders rushing efficiency metrics so far. And the usage, you know, it's kind of the concerns we had in the preseason. that we wrote about, you know, we had Taylor as our, our first-round bust. Um, and in week one, we didn't see any Marlon Mack. In week two, we, we did see some Marlon Mack. So it did turn into a three-man committee. Jonathan Taylor played just 45% of the offensive snaps and the Colts were trailing for a lot of the game, but it's not like they were trailing big. It was a pretty close game throughout. So that that's the concern for Taylor. The good news, he he definitely has positive touchdown regression coming. He hasn't scored yet, but he leads the league with eight carries inside the 10 yard line. He leads the league with six carries inside the five. He had three straight carries from from the one yard line last week and and couldn't get in the end zone. So it's, it's going to get better for Taylor. But again, you know, he, he's similar to Antonio Gibson where, you know, some games, the volume's not going to be there. So he's going to hurt you more than other, you know, quote unquote RB ones in, in, in fantasy football. And if he has another rough game this week because of the QB issue and, and Indy just struggling to move the ball or score points, maybe next week or the week after it'll be time to um, look into his trade value uh, in your league. So we'll see about that. Naheem Hines, I think the last Colt worth discussing here to me, he's just a faster JD McKissick. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, it seems like his role is a bit more consistent from week to week, but you know he's still going to have a lot of duds in fantasy, so better off if you're not needing to use him. On the Titans side, Ryan Tannehill finished just quarterback 21 in week two, but it did mark a big rebound versus what he showed us in week one. He was QB 10 in our expected fantasy points metric. Mm-hmm. He threw for 347 yards in that game, just didn't get any TDs, and A.J. Brown played a role in that for him. 
The A.J. Brown dropped, what, like three passes. Um, there was a Julio Jones touchdown that sure looked like a touchdown to me in the back of the end zone, but it was overturned on replay. So kind of a, a bad luck game for Tannehill, but he definitely played better. He was first in PFF passing grades for week two. And we you know, we talked about the lack of play action in week one. That came back up in week two. It was a 12% play action rate in week one, up to 31% in week two. So I'm um, – kind of cautiously optimistic that this Titans offense is is, is going to be okay without Art Smith. Yeah, it's not quite a few. I can go back to playing these guys, but it, you feel a lot better at this point than we did last week. For sure. Um, A.J. Brown, you know, speaking of which, uh, there's downside from the efficiency level that he had over his first two seasons, but not, any, not to anywhere near the point where he's ranked right now among wide receivers. So I think now would be a good time to look into his price, especially coming off the big game for Julio Jones, making it look like you can't really count on AJ Brown, despite him getting nine targets in that game at Seattle. And again, he dropped three of them. Like, you know, he's well over a hundred yards without that. And he hasn't had drop issues in the past. So that's not a concern. Playing time is fine. He's at a 22 and a half percent target share. That's a fine number. Um, I, I, I will note that he struggled against the Colts. Um, he's he kind of had three games under 50 yards among four meetings. So I don't know what that means exactly, but if he has another down game, I would definitely be trying to buy AJ Brown. Yeah, for this game specifically, Ryan Tannehill has had three straight low-volume meh fantasy outings against the Colts. So it doesn't look like a game that we specifically want to target these Titans passing game pieces. I mean, if you have A.J. Brown, he's probably starting for you. But if it's yeah. close between him and somebody else, this is an okay week to consider benching him, I think. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be stacked, I think. Um, Xavier Rhodes has missed the Colts' first two games. They're top corner. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to be back for this one. But if he's out, that definitely makes the matchup easier for Brown and Julio. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh Steelers by three and over under 44 on the Cincy side. No practice for T. Higgins on Wednesday. He's got a shoulder injury. Uh, Joe Burrow coming off a not terrific game in the loss of Chicago last week. So he's well outside starter consideration. We'll have to keep an eye on Higgins um, to kind of judge the other pieces of that passing game, I think. Yeah, I think, I think Boyd and Chase just – become much easier to trust if Higgins is out because Higgins has a 26% target share through two games. So he'd be leaving behind quite a bit of work. Mm -hmm. Jamar Chase disappointed last week with just four targets, but did score the touchdown has looked good through two games so far. And he's coming off a game where uh, Chicago corner Jalen Johnson earned one of PFF's highest overall grades across positions for the week. So, I mean, we'll see where that goes with Jalen Johnson, but you know, that had to factor into Jamar Chase's overall numbers. We just saw a lot more targets go to T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd in that game. That's just that's just something that's going to happen in the Cincinnati yep. offense at times. Yeah, I mean, it's like a you know poor man's version of the Bucks offense where you got three wideouts there. You know, kind of one of them's probably going to disappoint most weeks. Um, Chase, you know, it, it's only two games, but Chase so far looks like the downfield guy for the Bengals passing game. His A dot is up around 18 yards. Higgins is at 10 yards. Tyler Boyd's around six yards. Um, so, again, you know, that might just mean Chase is a bit more volatile than Higgins and, and especially t- uh, Tyler Boyd. Mm-hmm. On the Pittsburgh side, Deontay Johnson didn't practice Wednesday with his knee issue. What's the latest that we've heard on him? Nothing. Like, we don't know. You know, it's kind of strange. We don't know anything about the injury at all. Um, I would, at this point, probably assume he's not going to play and, you know, get him out of fantasy lineups and, and, and we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see on him. Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool obviously get a boost if Johnson does sit. I think James Washington sneaks into DFS consideration, but wouldn't be on my radar for season long. Um, Pat Fryermuth, though, is he on the radar now? I mean, the usage is trending. The entire issue with this offense is Big Ben looks like he's done. And, you know, he already has a pec injury now. Um, I'm sure he'll play through it because he, he always does. You know, he's such a tough guy. Um, but, yeah, 
Frymuth already ahead of Ebron in week two in snaps and pass routes. Also out targeted him four to two. So if you're you know stashing a Steelers tight end, I don't think you should be starting either of them at this point. But if you're stashing one, I think it should be Frymuth because you know as a rookie, if anything, his role just should continue to ascend throughout the season. I tried for Fryermuth on our FFPC waivers this week. He went for fourteen dollars. That's like in a format where you start with a thousand bucks, but I'm under two thirty at this point. So, do you think I should have bid up beyond fourteen? I think I put in like eleven dollars for Fryermuth. Do you think it was a mistake or a good place well, to kind of be reserved? I mean, I guess it depends who your other tight ends are. Um, but I think whoever got Fryermuth for fourteen bucks in FFPC, that's a that's a good deal. Yeah, I think that ends up being a good buy as well. I just dropped Blake Jarwin this week. By the way, we'll get to the Cowboys later. It was it kind of hurt a little bit, but I've been kind of building myself up to it. Yeah, it's, I think you're fine. Anything else on Pittsburgh before we move on? No, I, not Harris. So you just got to keep starting him. Like it's going to be ugly, but he's getting that usage. You know, he, he actually had a nice fantasy game in week two. Yeah, finished top ten because of that receiving touchdown. So you know, yep. we'll take it. I guess if he's Cordero Patterson. <laughs> New Orleans at New England Patriots by three over under 42 in a game that I do not want to watch at all. Sure. I, I'm a little worried about Alvin Kamara in general, and I'm specifically worried about the attention that he should get this week because he's basically yeah. the only thing even semi-dangerous on the New Orleans offense. It looks like right now. I don't think there's a whole lot you can do in fantasy except play him and keep your fingers crossed. But I mean, New England comes in number three in defensive DVOA overall saints are 29th in rush offense, Kamara 33rd in rushing DVOA among 36 qualifying backs. I, I got to say, I think that this game has shutout potential on the New Orleans side. Yeah. Th- you know, what's the over under right here? It's at 42. I, w- I would bet the under if I was betting aside, you know, these, these teams are both top five in DVOA. I think both offenses are limited. So I, I it's, I don't expect a big game from Kamara. It wouldn't be a week to use him in DFS. I, I'm not as worried about him over the rest of the season though. Um, the biggest problem that the saints have run a league low 103 offensive plays through two weeks. So that that's bringing all the production down Camara's <laughs> shares of the rush attempts and Pat, you know, his target share are both sitting at career highs. He has a 26% target share through two weeks. Uh, he's handled 56% of the rush attempts. So that's all there. He, you know, he just needs the play volume to come up. He needs the offense to play better. You know, that that's probably a concern when you, we've had one, one good Jameis game, one bad, Jameis game so far. Um, but, you know, Kamara, week one, he finished RB5 in expected fantasy points. Even week two, he was RB20 in expected fantasy points. And that's, you know, with the low play volume. So I'm, I, I think if Kamara has another dud in this game, I'd actually be looking to, to buy him in fantasy. It'd be something to watch. I think it's worth talking about because basically nobody else in this offense is even yeah. worth talking about at this point. I have no idea yet if Marquez Callaway is actually a thing. Uh, he's in what six targets through two games, but this isn't a matchup to bet on him getting started either. Nope. Uh, yeah, tough matchup. He's been on the field. Hasn't translated to fantasy production yet. Um, at tight end, we had Jawan Johnson pass Adam Troutman in routes after it was, you know, vice versa in week one. So that's another situation to monitor, but you know, probably only FFPC leagues. Neither of those guys should be in lineups in standard fantasy leagues. Yeah. The fact that Juwan Johnson versus Adam Troutman is relevant shows you what you need to know about this New Orleans offense on the Patriots side. I, I doubt that James White continues to average six and a half targets a game throughout the year, but I, I would say the Mac Jones switch has been even better for him than we expected through two weeks. And really averaging six and a half targets per game for the year is within his range of outcomes. It would still put him short of what his 2018 target rate was. That was, I think the year where it was like Julian Edelman and him and nobody else. 
Yeah, White has a 19% target share so far. I mean, that that's that's high for a running back, but it wouldn't shock me if he finishes the season around there. So, and and PPR, like if you know, if White's your RB three or flex, I think you know you're you're solid there. Um, Damian Harris still dominating the ball carrying work. Uh, sixth in the NFL in carry so far, 39 through two games. Um, he also has all three of the team's carries inside the five-yard line. So it, it is, it's, it's gone exactly how we expected with Mac Jones. Like, more targets for James White, goal line carries for Damian Harris. Both those guys are winners. Yeah, this is a bad spot for Damian Harris, though. Third in run defense DVOA are the Saints, so there's still a strong run D, which they've been for several years now. And their first two games came against Aaron Jones and Christian McCaffrey, so it's not like they've been loading up against weak opponents. So I would try not to use Damian Harris if it's questioned this week. I think James White is a solid guy to use. I think James White is what you are hoping J.D. McKissick and Naheem Hines will be. Um, I do think that there will be targets there. There are obviously going to be down weeks. I had to laugh. I, there was a question for us on Twitter today where somebody was asking if he should trade James White to get Cordero Patterson. I just responded with that gif of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. Yeah, I don't know what to do there either. I'd, I'd, I'd probably rather have James White if it's full PPR. I mean, it's it's the same dude, basically. They're both like probably they they both should be heavily involved in the passing game, and it's just going to vary week to week who's better. Yeah. Back to the Patriots, Jacoby Myers, two targets ahead of James White so far for the lead on the team. I think he's okay as a low wide receiver three or wide receiver four in PPR. There are plenty of issues in the New Orleans secondary right now, so I think Jacoby Myers is fine this week. And then at tight end, it's Johnny Smith, it's Hunter Henry. And we don't know which one's number one versus number two, but they're both kind of okay in that everybody has issues area of tight end. Yeah. Uh, Henry's run more pass routes than Johnny Smith so far, but Johnny Smith has 10 targets to Hunter Henry's seven. So yeah, they're, they're both tight end twos and you're kind of just hoping for a touchdown. Exactly. Anything else in that game? Nope. Atlanta at the New York giants giants by three over under 47 and a half on the Atlanta side. We got Russell Gage, who's week to week with an ankle injury. Doesn't necessarily mean he's out this week, but probably means that he's out this week. I think that could only help Cordero Patterson's opportunities. He, of course, is the buzz guy on Atlanta's offense right now after scoring two touchdowns in last week's game. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to see if his role really grows from here because, like, what is it? It's like his seventh or eighth year in the league, and, like, he's just never been – a running back They're, the role they have him in now is nice like he you know most of the carries he's getting are like pitches and like outside stuff just get him in space and then he's he's playing a pretty sizable role in the passing game so um you know at at this point it seems like he's been picked up in you know most leagues which he should be owned in most leagues um i, I wouldn't want to get him in lineups yet uh, i, I kind of want to see it another week or two but once bye weeks start to hit patterson might be useful in, in ppr leagues yeah i mean it's just similar to guys like kareem hunt James White, they're not going to get usage every week. Sometimes they will get usage and they can produce off of those things. Cordell Patterson is going to be more exciting to watch than Mike Davis. If he weren't, he wouldn't still be in the league because that's his calling card. He hasn't been able to settle in at running back or wide receiver anywhere, despite having been a first round pick back when he entered the league, because there's just, there's that limitation to him, but he's an exciting player that you like to get the ball to some. So I would expect his role to stay about where it is. Last week, it was seven targets apiece for him and Mike Davis. Um, like I said, I think Cordero Patterson is the bigger physical talent, but there's also the workload cap. So that makes, yeah. I think, Mike Davis the better weekly bet for touches. Yeah, I expect Davis to remain the better weekly bet for touches in this backfield. I mean, his usage has been solid. You know, the playing time, the pass routes. He has 13 total targets through two weeks that's tied for third among 
running backs. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Falcons offense is my concern here. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, Davis's usage, I think, still has him in, in like lower end RB2 territory. Yeah, it was 16 to four in touches between them last week with Davis, the leader, but Davis nearly doubled Patterson in playing time. So again, he's the better bet to get those touches. Patterson's going to be the flashier one. Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts are obvious and no thanks to me uh, for me on Matt Ryan and one quarterback leagues. No, like after Big Ben, Ryan's like the next guy I'm concerned might just be done. Um, he, he just does not look good. Um, you know, PFF has them 25th in their passing grades. And that, that, that's the concern for Pitts and Ridley. But Pitts and Ridley still look awesome. Their usage is awesome. Um, and they're, they're the two guys that should benefit if Russell Gage misses this game. It'll be interesting to see where this class of quarterbacks goes to see if Atlanta winds up uh, regretting not taking a quarterback in this draft. On the Giants' side, Evan Engram returned to limited practice. First time since that injury in the third preseason game. Seems to be trending toward playing. I would be wary of playing Evan Ingram in his first <laughs> yeah. game back, though. Yeah, definitely a wait and see situation for me. Like, let's let's see him get through a game healthy, then we can think about using him in week four. Mm-hmm. Sterling Shepard is a must in PPR at this point. Currently ninth yeah. at the position in points, tied for eleventh in targets. Kenny Galladay is also doing okay. I mean, he's not great so far, but six and eight targets in his two games. Some tougher corner matchups versus Denver and Washington. It's a much better matchup for him this week against Atlanta. Yeah, Galladay's like a, a tepid buy for me. I don't want to be too excited about him, but like you said, the usage has been good. You know, he 90% route rate, a 20% target share for Galladay. He leads the team in air yards. He leads the Giants with six red zone targets and two red zone targets. So he's the guy getting the, the touchdown looks, which should be the case, you know, considering his size and athleticism. He, he just still doesn't seem to be on the same page as Daniel Jones. And we heard about that throughout the summer, you know, I, I guess early in the summer, then Galladay missed all the time with the hamstring. So I do think, if those two can get on the same page, you know, Galladay can still be like a weekly wide receiver three. And you know, again, you might be able to get him for a lot cheaper than that right now in the trade. I don't know. I'm not sure how strong a reader either of these guys is. So we'll see about <laughs> that. But yeah, I, Kenny Galladay wouldn't be like the centerpiece of something that I'm trying to make happen in trade, but he's a good throw in where you could probably get him from somebody and there's upside. And if he doesn't wind up paying off, then you haven't really lost anything. Yep. is just one target ahead of Darius Slayton so far, trailing Slayton in yardage and fantasy points, but ran 12 more routes last week, 15 more for the season right now, a higher PFF receiving grade to this point. And, and Slayton's coming off a particularly ugly outing. I also wonder if Darius Slayton might be the one most affected by Evan Engram's return, because it's kind of tough for me to imagine the Giants taking Sterling Shepard off the field a whole lot to make room for Evan Engram. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Slayton's definitely the number three wide receiver in New York. Um, you know, he, he has shown throughout his career so far he can pop for big games, and it's another good matchup here. So, you know, Slayton is more interesting this week than usual. Um, you know, he's still you know, well outside the, the top 40 wide receivers in our rankings. Speaking of the matchup, are we going to get a Saquon Barkley rebound week? All all his playing time is there now. I mean, it, it shot up from week one to week two. He played 84% of the snaps in week two. Um, but still, it still only had 13 carries and three targets. Like, it seems like, I, it seems like to me, he's on like a touch count in these games. Like, the, the Giants are running so many read options and, and Daniel Jones is keeping a lot of them. I feel like, like they're like, you know, don't hand the ball to Saquon here. We got to keep him under, you know, 15 carries or whatever. Um, so, again, the, the playing time's there, and this is easily his best matchup of the season so far. You're, you're, you're starting Saquon this week, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, like a, a semi-breakout game for him. He's also 6000 bucks on FanDuel this week. I haven't checked his yeah, DraftKings yeah. price, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Baltimore at Detroit, Ravens by seven and a half, over under of 50 points in that game. You play everyone on the Ravens side that makes some sense. Marquise Brown is somebody we'll have to watch. He was a limited Wednesday with an ankle issue, but I think he's a good play as long as he's good to go by the weekend. Yeah, he's he's always banged up. You know, he was questionable with that ankle going into week two and played and looked looked fine. Um he he's finished wide receiver 17 and then wide receiver seven in half PPR points this year. And dating back to last season, he has 80 plus yards and or a touchdown in 10 straight games. Now he's, nice. he's kind of like breaking out quietly and kind of, you know, being the first round pick that he was drafted as. Um, and obviously you can't get a better matchup than this one. So Brown, Brown should be in fantasy lineups. Even Sammy Watkins, I think is, you know, a, a spot start option this week. His playing time has been there. And again, um, the, the matchup's good for everyone in Baltimore this week. Yeah, Watkins just one target behind Marquise Brown through two games. So um, getting the usage that you mentioned. Tyson Williams, 10th in Football Outsiders rushing DVOA at the position. His, the usage also leaned back his way against the Chiefs last week after a second-half downturn in week one. I mean, he, he clearly looks like Baltimore's best running back. And, yeah, like you said, you know, he, he played 49% of the snaps in week two, led the team with – 13 carries versus 11 for Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman. Like, it's it's, it's going to be a committee, but Williams is and should be the leader of the committee. So you, you, you get a matchup like Detroit where, you know, they could run it 40 times. I think Williams is, is a nice fantasy play this week. Yeah, it's a committee with the, the young, hip CEO and the two former CEOs that are just kind of on their way out at this point. Yep. Detroit, and actually it's really questionable whether those other two guys were ever CEOs, but on the Detroit side, the Lions offense has been better than anticipated, at least in terms of production. The Ravens defense is also off to a rocky start. That said, I'm still not giving Jared Goff a serious look <laughs> this week in one quarterback leagues of 12 teams or fewer, at least. No, I'm, I'm not either. Um, hopefully you don't have to do that. Um, you know, he, he has finished as a top 12 quarterback in, in both two weeks now, uh, both weeks to start the season. Uh, he, he's run for 60 yards already, which is like over halfway to his career high. So that's coming down. He has 93 pass attempts. That's tied for the league lead. So he's kind of benefited from volume. But he, he is, he's playing pretty well in this Lions offense. Like isn't the, the disaster we kind of thought it would be, which is nice for TJ Hawkinson. It's nice for DeAndre Swift and, and uh, Jamal Williams. Yeah, Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, fairly easy starts. I think Jamal Williams is is merely okay this week. The Ravens do stand ninth in run defense DVOA. And, I mean, maybe it is a matchup that drives up Jared Goff's passing volume again. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little, kind of a tough thing to bet on, especially back home, maybe Baltimore, which hasn't been awesome all the time on offense so far. Maybe they don't score as many points as we anticipate. I mean, all the playing time stuff in this backfield is like two to one in favor of DeAndre Swift. So I'd eventually expect like the production to kind of go that way too. So Williams is, is still like a borderline running back three. You, know, you kind of expect like 10 to 12 touches out of him every week. Wide receiver Tyrell Williams is going to be out for a few weeks now. They just placed him on IR today with that concussion that had him out in week two. Quintez Cephas has looked pretty good. I th- I, I'm mildly interested in Quintez Cephas and that that's about the best thing I can say about the Lions wide receiver core. I picked him up in the league this week, so that's I'm, I'm mildly interested as well. Um, he's looked like their best wideout, and he he ran her out on ninety percent of the pass plays in week two. So I think Detroit kind of sees he's their best wideout too. So he he you know he he's my bet to kind of lead the way the rest of the year, whatever that's worth. You know, because I, mean, I still think like T.J. Hawkinson is the clear number one here. DeAndre Swift's probably the number two option in the passing game. So um, see if it's a stash, someone maybe uh, you can use during bye weeks, but hopefully you don't need to use him this week. Yeah, Cephas is kind of what we were hoping Marquez Callaway was going to be for the Saints right now. Yep, exactly.
Miami at Las Vegas, the Raiders by four over under a 45 and a half. Tua Tungavailoa has fractured ribs, so he's definitely out this week. We'll see beyond that. And in his place, Jacoby Brissett just ain't it. There's not a single Dolphin I'd want to start this week. Um, they're all kind of fringe guys to begin with. Then you get the quarterback downgrade um, to Brissett, who, you know, he's played quite a bit. He has, he has almost, he has over a thousand pass attempts in the NFL and you know, he's just, he's a backup quarterback. So you kind of have to downgrade everyone and you know, you get Will Fuller back too, which just crowds the target picture. So hopefully you're not using any dolphins this week. Yeah. I mean, Jacoby Brissett is okay, but the Patriots who drafted him traded him away. The Colts who had him as an insurance option for several years, let him walk so he could sign a backup contract somewhere else. So clearly he's just not a priority for anybody somebody's going to score for the Dolphins this week. You know, it's a fine matchup for them against the Raiders, but it's just this committee everywhere offense where it's, yeah. it's kind of uneasy to bet on anybody, even when things are good. So when things are iffy, I agree. I don't want to bet on any Dolphins in my lineup this week, if I can help it. Yep. Agreed. On the Raiders side, Josh Jacobs is quote, very questionable according to John <laughs> Gruden this week with his ankle foot, whatever issues. Assuming that Josh Jacobs does not play, I would also rather skip Kenyon Drake and Peyton Barber if I can help it. I think I think Drake has to be in like the running back three mix, at least in PPR. He, he's actually he's finished as RB twenty six in both weeks so far, and that's largely be, been because of his passing game production. Um, he has eleven targets through two weeks. You know, unfortunately, he got out carried by Peyton Barber last week. It seems like Gruden's kind of committed to that, so you're not expecting like a huge increase in carries for for Drake. But again, you know, he's he's obviously a big part of that passing game. So I think you can kind of lean on that if you, if you need an RB three and PPR. Yeah. If you're looking for Naheem Hines or JD McKissick, I guess Kenny <laughs> Drake could be that guy. See, I like Drake better than, than both those guys. I mean, he's been pretty much in the same territory though, isn't he? Uh, he, he has more carries than both of them. Doesn't he? I, again, I, I just, he, uh, Drake played 71% of their snaps last week. So I don't know, maybe he gets more, if he's out there for that, for you know that high percentage of snaps, you'd think he'd get a bit more work than he got last week on the ground. Eh, maybe I'm underselling him. Maybe this is a better spot for him to get some carries than it was in Pittsburgh last week, and maybe it comes together. So, you know, not totally off the radar, but certainly not somebody that excites me this week. Yep. That's Derek right. Carr, you'll find uh, just beyond our top 12 in the rankings. The Raiders don't seem too worried about his ankle this week after he heard it in Pittsburgh last week. Um, you know, it doesn't help, but Derek Carr has been excellent so far, so it's tough to bet yep. against him, really. Yeah, full practice for Carr on Wednesday. So at this point, I'm not very concerned about the ankle at all. Um, he's been a top 10 quarterback in both of the first two games of the season. He's playing really well. He's fourth in PFF passing grade. And the Raiders are second in situation neutral pass rate through two weeks, which I, I definitely did not expect. I'm sure Josh Jacobs' injury has at least something to do with that. But you know, with Jacobs out again, I think you can kind of expect the Raiders to go pass heavy again. Who would you play between Derek Carr and Daniel Jones this week? Probably Carr, honestly. I, I do think Jones has a higher ceiling because of the rushing, but you know Jones can give you a, a ten point dud like out of nowhere. Where Carr, I, I at least feel like he's not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I'm not ready to play Henry Ruggs this week, at least against some tough outside corners for Miami. But I do like the usage that they've added some short stuff to his game. I know I'm a little I'm a little scared that Henry Ruggs might happen this season now because it seems like the Raiders kind of finally figured out how to use him. Now he did catch the the deep ball for the touchdown. So he can still do that, but he needs to get some of those shorter passes, which he did in week two. You know, that that was his, his 
best game as a pro so far. So we'll see. Um, he, you know, he's still only running her out on like two thirds of the pass plays. He's still behind Brian Edwards. They're still, you know, rotating in Zay Jones. Um, so that needs to come up a bit, but um, definitely a step in the right direction for Ruggs. Yeah. Uh, it's a move upward, as you mentioned, but I think that the Raiders have showed us at this point that upside in the Raiders passing game at wide receiver means you could finish like wide receiver 30. So I can't say that I'm yeah. too worried about not having much Henry Ruggs. Yeah, again, it's a rotation, and we know Darren Waller is still the top option in the passing game. Yeah, Brian Edwards, I think, is okay to hold, but I also think he's droppable at this point if you're eyeing somebody on the waivers. He is. Um, I, I, it just seems like Carly doesn't want to throw to him for, for whatever reason. I mean, he, he's been out there. Edwards has been out there plenty, but he has just eight targets through two games. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly early in his career, so I'm not, I'm not giving up on Brian Edwards long-term, but not somebody that you need to cling to because big things are coming this year. I don't think he's Terrell Owens, for what it's worth. <laughs> Probably not. New York Jets at Denver Broncos. Broncos by 10.5, over under 41.5, so the lowest point total of the week game-wise, and you can blame the Jets for it because they are implied for 2.25 fewer points than the Texans, who are in turn implied for 1.25 less than number three Washington this week. So how does that translate for fantasy play? Absolutely nobody except maybe Corey Davis and even Corey Davis is in wide receiver four territory in our rankings. Yeah. I mean, Davis isn't immune to duds either, as he showed last week. I mean, Elijah Moore was the more productive Jets wide receiver last week. So those two are you know probably closer than you, you thought they were going to be after week one, at least. So I would not want to start either of those. Guys. Yeah. I would want to start anyone on the Jets. I did want to note that the backfield, kind of turned into a two-man committee last week with Tevin Coleman getting phased out. Coleman played just 10% of the snaps, didn't run a single pass route, had just five carries. You had Michael Carter, 11 carries and three targets. Ty Johnson, 12 carries and zero targets. So at least it's a two-man committee now. Like, you know, Carter still needs more than that if he's going to become a fantasy option. But he he was dropped in a few FFPC leagues. I, I tried to get him with like a $150 bid, but he went for like 225 um, so I, I, Chuck, if he was dropped in some leagues, I do think Carter by the second half of the season, if he's, you know, getting 15 or so touches per game could be helpful. He's a fine stash. I'd also rather stash somebody like Kenneth Gainwell though, because I think that they're both kind of usable in the same range right now. And I think there's higher upside to Gainwell if somebody were yep. to go down. Yep. That's fair. Um, speaking of running back stashes, since it just came up on, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube, uh, Azar Ahmed, says, would you rather hold on to Trey Sermon or Tony Jones as a bench stash in half PPR? Um, what do you think, Jared? Trey Sermon or Tony Jones Jr.? I guess I'd go Sermon just because, you know, he might he might not need an injury to, you know, become a thing. We know Jones needs Kamara to go down. Um, and I mean, the, and we'll get to the Niners' backfield, but it's a massive question mark now with all the, the issues. So I would rather stash Sermon. I agree, and I think even the bigger factor for me is that the 49ers offense and running game is something I would believe in more were Trey Sermon to get the opportunity than I do the New Orleans offense should Tony Jones Jr. become the uh, top guy in, in that backfield. Yeah, agreed. So going back to what we have here on the Broncos side of this game, I think you're playing any of the usuals against the Jets. We got our Cortland Sutton on back game against Jacksonville, and we also got Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler playing near identical snaps. Yeah, I'm, I'm mad I didn't play Sutton in DFS last week. I think that was a good time to use him in like tournaments where you know Judy's out. Sutton should have emerged as the clear top guy, and he did. So you know you're definitely starting him in the, this plus matchup. Um, you know KJ Hamler dudded last week, so he's tough to trust. Tim Patrick scored another touchdown. 
he, he still he still only saw four targets though. Um, you know, he has four targets in both games so far. So I mean, he's like a touchdown or bust guy. Again, the matchup's good enough where you can lean on him if you need him. But I, I still think the floor is low because you know it's like Sutton and it's like Fant in this passing game. And then it's like Patrick and Hamler and Albert O is in the mix too. So it's, it, you can't count on big volume for Tim Patrick. Yeah, I'm not particularly excited about either of these guys. I think you're ba- banking on some luck by playing either of them. It's a, a situation where there could be some luck. It's a good situation for getting luck from the passing game, but not anybody that I'm reaching for in either case. Conversely, I think it could be a good spot for either Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon. I, I think we all expect Denver to control this game. So um, either running back in play, and it seems like just a matter of time before Javante Williams kind of overtakes Melvin Gordon here. Yeah, see, he's... Williams is outplaying Gordon. If you look at anything on you know, PFF rushing grades, elusive rating, missed tackles, Williams has been the better back. It's still an even split for now. It's still an even split on the ground, and Melvin Gordon is getting most of the passing game work. So even for this week, like I think Gordon's a slightly better play. Um, but long term, by the second half of the season, if if the Denver coaching staff is smart, I think Williams is going to emerge as the the lead back here. Teddy Bridgewater is a solid option in this game as well. I, I want to say that he's not a high ceiling guy, but He's thrown 36 and 34 passes, which are decent numbers through two weeks, especially considering that they won those two games by 14 and 10. So it wasn't like they um, needed to throw the ball to catch up or stay on pace with their opponents in those games. QB 12 overall through two games. Teddy Bridgewater is probably a little low, I think, at QB 18 in our rankings this week, but it's also a muddled range at the position. I was going to say, there's just a lot of good streaming options this week with fields and Darnold and Daniel Jones. Um, I, I do think Bridgewater is right there with those guys. He, he finished quarterback 17 in week one. He was quarterback 12 in week two. Um, and, you know, this matchup is probably better than both of those, or at least equivalent to what he you know got last week in Jacksonville. And he finished quarterback 12. So I do think he's a, he's a pretty safe uh, week three spot start option and, you know, could, could sneak into the top 12 again. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is like whether you go the safe route or whether you swing for the fences with Justin Fields. I mean, give me Fields there. I think like Bridgewater versus Daniel Jones is a good kind of a good debate where Jones is kind of the higher risk, higher reward guy. Yeah, I'm not even sure how much higher the reward is, but I guess with the rushing side for Daniel Jones, yeah, that'd be that'd be a a, a case where you could go either way too. And I I hope I kind of hope nobody asks me that one because it'd be like either (laughs) either one could work out. It's going to depend on who gets more touchdowns. Right. Tampa Bay at the LA Rams bucks by one opened at Rams by two in this game. So a pretty significant swing in the betting line for this one over and under uh, 56 points. This and the next game that we're going to get to are tied for the highest over under of the week. The bucks implied total has climbed by two and a half points from where it opened from 26 to 28 and a half. Now fifth highest on the week. I mean, I guess starting on the Bucks side, maybe the, the biggest news is that Antonio Brown is on the COVID list and it's not guaranteed that he'll still be on it by Sunday, but it's looking pretty iffy that he's going to be able to make it back in time. Yeah. He, he, AB is vaccinated. So if he gets, he, he needs to be symptom free and get the two negative tests before Sunday. Um, so he has a chance, you know, there was the Adam Schefter tweet that basically made it seem like he was a long shot. So I don't know if Schefter has like additional information or why I think at this point you should be assuming Brown's not going to play and, and no, there is a chance he's cleared. Um, I, I went back. So uh, Brown missed the conference championship game last year against the Packers and Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson basically split 
playing time in his place. Uh, Johnson or Scotty Miller had a slight lead in snaps and pass routes. So, um, you know, I, I wish you could use one of them as like a spot starter if Brown's out, but I think if they're going to split, you, you kind of can't. Mm-hmm. And I think otherwise you just play the guys that look like yeah. you should play them. And that includes not playing the backfield. If you can help it. I think Fournette's in play. I, if, if Ronald Jones still sucks. Like he, ju- he just can't get out of his own way. Um, you know, Arians gave him the start in week two and Fournette still ended up playing more snaps, getting more touches. Gio Bernard is just, you know, he's, he's not worth much at this point. He's only playing on passing downs like Fournette. Fournette's getting pretty good usage in a top five offense. Um, now Brady's stealing all the touchdowns because, you know, I think Brady wants to break records this season, which he might. So that's kind of hurting Fournette. But I, to me, Fournette's a nice RB3 with upside because of this offense. Fournette, it's funny how much Fournette looks like Chase Edmonds in terms of their usage and how he's scoring his points. He's getting decent carries. He's getting solid uh, targets and receptions. Yep. And, uh, I mean, you know, it, he's fine. I agree. Yep. Yeah, so in, in expected fantasy points, he was 13th in week one and 19th in week two. So I mean, he, he's he's getting the chances, again, in what's a what's a great offense. And to be fair to Brady, of course, he doesn't get, you know, many people um, arguing for him. Uh, if you had the choice between handing it to Leonard Fournette to score a touchdown or throwing it to Mike Evans, I mean, or Rob Gronkowski, it'd be a pretty easy decision for me. That's the thing. Fournette's still not, he, he's not good, but he's, you know, he's better than Ronald Jones and he's, and he's better than Joe Bernard. So he's gonna, I think fair. he's going to keep getting the ball. On the Rams side, just play everybody that you're considering, but you should probably plan to not play Daryl Henderson for this game. We're going to have to watch reports on his rib injury. Kept him out of Wednesday's practice. At best, though, Henderson's going to be active at less than 100% against the league's toughest run defense. So it's going to be a tough spot to like Daryl Henderson at all. And it sucks, too. I know we both have Michelle stash. And like, even if Henderson's out, it's like tough to get excited about Michelle. I'd, I'll probably still end up using him just because I think he'll be a good bat for 15-plus touches. And it's still a decent touchdown bat because this game should be a shootout, but the matchup's just brutal. Yeah, fortunately, the team where I had – the most important team where I have him stashed, I have uh, Zeke Elliott and Aaron Jones. So I'm like, all right, I'll just wait and see what happens with Sonny Michelle. You're fine, yep. (laughs) Um, Don't panic yet on Robert Woods either. He's only slightly behind Van Jefferson in routes so far, basically even in that category. We've also seen that kind of setup with these Rams when it was Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Josh Reynolds in terms of the route distribution. Uh, Robert Woods' target share is also right in line with where it was last year. 23.2% so far this year, 22.9% last season. So, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, He's clearly been behind Cooper Cup in terms of target share to this point, but don't give in on Robert Woods already. No. um, Hang on to him. Consider trading for him. Definitely start him this week. If you have him, we talked about the route rate down at 68% in week one. It was at 97%. In week two, so I don't know what happened in the opener, but you know, Woods is still going to be a full-time player in this offense. There's going to be is going to be a time where the production swings from Cooper Cup to Robert Woods. Mm-hmm. Anything else from that game? Uh, keep starting Tyler Higby, who you know has awesome usage as far as playing time in the pass routes. I know he killed you last week, but if he's going to get that playing time in you know what looks like a top five passing game with Stafford, like Higby is going to be a top eight fantasy tight end. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't, you just can't react to duds at tight end. They're all going to put yep. them up unless they're Travis <laughs> Kelsey and Darren Waller or, and yep. TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> yes. Seattle at Minnesota Seahawks by two. That's up one point from where it was mm. in the open over under a 56. Seattle has the third highest implied 
total of the week. You're playing both quarterbacks here. They're both inside our top 12 for the week. The top two receivers for both teams are easy plays. Both lead running backs are easy plays here. I think the first player worth discussing is KJ Osborne for Minnesota, the number three receiver. I think he's in PPR consideration for deeper leagues at this point, talking like 14 team leagues, not quite ready to trust his target volume beyond that point, but there is room for him to settle in as the third target for Minnesota and for the tight ends to be downplayed, I think, because, you know, it's just a limited position for them now. And KJ Osborne looks the part. I mean, we haven't seen a third receiver for the Vikings over the past few years, but it's quite possible that KJ Osborne, who I believe is in his third year right now, maybe even just his second he might be the best third receiver that they've had in at least several years. Yeah, he he, he looks good. I, I do think he's like the third option in this passing game ahead of Tyler Con- Conklin. Um, I also think Osborne's efficiency is, you know, going to regress. He's caught 80% of his targets. He's averaging 14 yards per catch. We also saw his pass routes go down a bit in week two. He was at 89% in week one, 69% in week two. You know, seems like they, they just used a bit more two tight end stuff in week two. So that's probably going to be volatile. Um, yeah, I think you're right saying like he's a lower end option in like deeper PPR leagues. Yeah, and I didn't take it down for this one, but I believe their neutral pass rate came down a bit in week two versus week yeah. one, which was up from where it was last season. Yeah, I know for the season now they're down to 24th. Um, so, yeah, they, that's definitely lower than it was after week one. Mm-hmm. Anything from the Seattle side in this game or it's just pretty obvious? Pretty obvious. I, I think I've, I've seen Gerald Everett dropped in some spots um his usage came up from week one to week two so i i you know just being part of this offense i still think everett's a guy who you know probably should be rostered in most leagues you know just again because tight end is so weak i think everett you know he could still finish the year as a top 12 tight end yeah i would say very similar to pat fryermuth and um jack doyle though in terms of what we can expect maybe higher upside on gerald everett yeah. and pat fryermuth but all guys that are better to stash than use right now I think I think Everett gets the edge just because he's you know catching passes from from Russell Wilson versus mm-hmm. those two guys. Mm-hmm. Sunday night game we get Green Bay at San Francisco 49ers by three and a half in this game over under a 49 and a half. Let's start on the Niners side because they have a bunch of injuries at running back to watch. Jermichael Hasty is out for a while with his high ankle sprain. There was no practice Wednesday for Elijah Mitchell, which is with his shoulder injury. Kyle Shanahan said that they were hoping it was just a stinger, but that it's something a little worse than a stinger. So we'll see what that means. Trey Sermon was actually limited Wednesday coming off his concussion. Seemed like he might be a good bet to miss a week. And we'll still see where he goes from there. We don't know whether Sermon or Elijah Mitchell are going to play. And if they don't, it could be Jacques Patrick and Trenton Cannon leading this backfield. Jacques Patrick, yeah. He had had a good preseason with the Bengals. Five yards per carry. He was sixth among 93 qualifying running backs in PFF rushing grades. That's that's about all I can tell you about Jacques Patrick. He he played in the XFL uh, last season, so... We'll see, you know, Mitchell came back into last week's game and you know, the report was his injury is minor. So I'm kind of still expecting him to play and Sermon seems to be trending in the right direction. Um, Mitchell was, was dominating work again before he got hurt last week. So I don't, I don't know what the injury is going to mean for that. But if, if all those guys are active, I still think Mitchell is, is the best fantasy bet. Yeah, check out our fantasy visions. The Check out the player page for Elijah Mitchell to read more on it. But I think that based on what he did the first two weeks, the long touchdown run against the Lions inflated what he actually did in week one. And I think mm-hmm. the lack of having a long touchdown run in week two kind of deflated what he actually did. If you look at both of those games outside of that one key difference, they both looked very similar. And I think they look good in terms of his role 
in a run game that we like to have pieces of. Yeah, I mean, he, he's just about on Shanahan's running game. I, I don't – what I've seen from Mitchell so far, he's not a special player. But if he's getting 15 carries in this in this running game, he's, you know, he's going to be useful. Right. He barely missed a touchdown last week, by the way. They called it a touchdown initially, but then uh, on review found that his knee came down. And then Jimmy Garoppolo vultured it on the next play. So Debo Samuel, an obvious start at this point until something changes. 35.7% target share through two games. 20 targets over that span. George Kittle second on the team with nine. Yeah, it's, it's Debo's offense. Keep her own with him. Brandon Ayuk, um, like slight upticks in playing time in week two, but you know, still nothing in, in the box score. Still a guy you, you can't use. I'd, I'd, I'd keep him stashed. So I do think he's going to get back to you know something close to a full-time player, but not a week three option. Yeah, we saw him, we saw him build a little separation um, from Trent Sherfield last week, but we're going to need more separation before we can use him and certainly more targets. And also Jimmy Garoppolo did not look very good last week. He looked to me like a guy who's keeping Trey Lance's seat warm, especially anytime they asked him to pass beyond the line of scrimmage. And they had a surprisingly short passing scheme for that game. Lots of like screen type passes for George Kittle, uh, a surprising number of looks for Kyle Juszczyk, and yeah, it was just like a, it was a weird offense in that game. That's, that's, that's all cheer for the Packers in this one. We need the Niners to start losing some games so we can get Trey Lance in there. That's right. On the Green Bay side of this one, thank goodness we got that Monday night bounce back from the Packers offense because we can now feel comfy using Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones the way that we should. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, went to San Francisco last November, completed 81% of his passes in that game, 305 yards, four touchdowns. So certainly no reason to believe that he can't do something this week. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a defense to be afraid of. So you're starting all your usual Packers. That doesn't include MVS, unfortunately. I don't know what to do with this guy. His, you know, he's getting all the air yards. Um, he, he even had that end zone target last week where he's open and Rodgers like Rogers never misfires that badly. Like threw it at MVS's ankles. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm keeping him stashed because the usage is you know has been there that he just hasn't connected with Rodgers yet. Maybe that's just going to continue because he's Marquez Valdez Scantling, but. Um, Usage has been good. Fantasy production, not good. Yeah, he's a good guy to stash because if we get another two weeks of nothing, then you can drop him for something else. And even if, you know, we get one week of nothing and you just want to drop him to pick up something else, you're not going to lose out on a guy who ends up finishing 20th among wideouts. But a a solid stash working with Aaron Rodgers and getting plenty of targets to this point. Robert Tunyon, not a great spot for him. He's his usual TD or bust self, but just seven targets through two games. It's 11.3% of the team total. So we haven't seen any role elevation versus last year yet. He's got one fewer target than Aaron Jones and five fewer than MVS, who you were just talking about. Yep. Same exact target share for Tunyon this year as last year. So he's the same guy. You're just you know banking on the touchdown, which he, he got for you last week. Philadelphia at Dallas on Monday night to round this puppy out. Cowboys by four in this game, over under a 51 and a half. Jalen Hurts went from the league's shortest dot in week one to the league's longest dot in week two. And what that tells me is that Nick Sirianni is going to vary his scheme quite a bit week to week for the matchups. Now for the Cowboys this week, specifically, they afford opportunities at all levels. So we, I I would imagine that we'll see a mix. Maybe they try attacking deep again, like they did against San Francisco, but I think that there's room for Philly to hit multiple areas in this game. It should be a good spot for using Jalen Hurts. I think Sirianni should go back to the short passing game because Hertz was second in PFF passing grade in week one. He dropped to 21st in week two. Now he, he still ran for 82 yards in a score last week. So he still finishes a top 10 fantasy quarterback again. Like it's, 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 
hard for Hertz not to finish top 10 with, with the rushing production he's given you. And he threw for 342 yards against the Cowboys in one of his starts last season to go along with 69 rushing yards. So yeah, he, you know, he's, you, you hope he, his passing you know, improves and comes back to, you know, what he showed in week one, but it doesn't really matter if he keeps giving you that rushing production. Mm-hmm. Devonte Smith has led the team in targets both games so far. I think he looks like a solid wide receiver three uh, this game. There were several missed opportunities where, where Jalen Hurts just missed him with deep balls. Um, and he also drew a couple of pass interference penalties, including one in the end zone. So if he gets a couple of those as catches instead, it's a better looking game than what it turned out to be. And like I said, there's nothing scary at all in the Dallas secondary. So it should be a good spot for Smith. Yeah, it, you know, it's just Hurts' inconsistencies that you know are going to impact Smith, but he's good and and the usage is good. Jalen Rager got downfield more last game, including a long touchdown catch that was negated because it was called illegal touching because he stepped on the sideline on his way to making the reception. I wouldn't put Jalen Rager in the lineup yet, but it's been a decent start for him through two weeks. Yeah, it has been, and you know he, he's clearly their number two wideout in terms of playing time. I mean, you have you have. I mean, Quez Watkins, by the way, had the long catch, but he was still at um, just 48% of the pass routes. You know, he's still rotating in and out. So Quez is not a fantasy option. Rager, you know, a good stash. It looks like he might be taking a step forward, but yeah, yeah I wouldn't want to use him at this point in week three. Quez Watkins last week might be the only time you see a 91-yard catch that doesn't go for a touchdown, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dallas Goddard just six targets through two games, and his first look against uh, San Francisco didn't come until into the fourth quarter. So that – is a red flag for his situation in general. We'll see about Zach Ertz this week. He's on the COVID list. We'll see if he makes it back for some for Monday night's game. I think the extra day certainly helps his uh, situation. Yeah, uh, Zach Ertz ran more pass routes than Dallas Goddard in week two. Um, so it's it, it's 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 going to be up and down at best for Dallas Goddard. But but if Ertz is out, you know that's that's when Goddard I, I think will be a top top eight tight end play if Ertz isn't cleared for this one. Also worth noting, there are questions about Jalen Hurts' mid-range passing, which, of course, would take more of a toll on these tight ends than it would probably anybody else on the team. So we'll see where that goes. It's still early in his career. It's obviously early in the Nick Sirianni time. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. But there are questions about him in that range. Uh, Not falling behind in score would help Miles Sanders. His game was fine last week, other than the Eagles falling behind and then playing catch-up and putting Kenneth Gainwell on the field more. And that's where he lost out reps to Gainwell, who wound up with one more target. It's like the Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick situation, where um, just like Antonio Gibson, Miles Sanders is the clear lead back in terms of playing time. But Kenneth Gainwell is the two minute back and he's going to get those receiving opportunities. And he's just getting mixed in throughout the game, including red zone opportunities. Yeah, Gainwell, I was a little surprised by this. He finished 30th in expected fantasy points in week one and 34th in week two. So you know, he, he's been getting RB three level usage. It, it seems like he's, you know, a, a part of their game plan. So, you know, he's not, you know, he's not, not massive upside if Sanders is healthy, but definitely someone you can use at that, you know, RB three or flex level. Yeah. He's like Tony Pollard right now where he's getting just enough that if you're hard up for a running back, he can be an option. And if the starter goes down, then there's big upside to him. Yep. On the Dallas side, we're going to need to watch reports on Amari Cooper's bruised ribs. Um, you know, early in the week for them, we'll get our first injury report today, Thursday. He hasn't tended to play well through injury in his no. career, though. No, he hasn't. Um, and this, you know, this is a rib injury. It's not like an ankle or a knee, which I feel like he's had a lot of. So, you know, maybe it's a bit, a bit better case. I, I did see he's expected to be limited in today's practice. You know, we'll see how he's actually listed on the report later. But if he's limited, 
in the first practice of the week, that would make me think he's going to be able to play in this way. But that definitely comes with more risk. Um, and, you know, and, and for Dak Prescott, I mean, if, if Cooper's out, I think you got to worry about Dak a little bit, just you know, missing two of his top three wide receivers at that point. Um, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. CD Lamb, obviously an easy start at this point. Amari Cooper's yep. situation, I think, also gives a little boost to Cedric Wilson as a deeper league option, DFS consideration. Yeah, if, if you know if Cooper's out, I think Wilson becomes interesting. He saw he had just two targets last week, you know, even as the number three, you know, getting elevated to the number three. You know, he was still uh, not a big part of the passing game. But if Cooper's out, you know, Wilson will almost have to become you know a bigger part. The tight ends, meanwhile, are cannibalizing each other. Eight targets for Dalton Schultz, seven targets for Blake Jarwin through two games. As I mentioned earlier, I just dropped Jarwin, and I don't even feel that bad about it, honestly. Nope. I I mean, I'm still going to monitor every week, and if you start to see Jarwin pull ahead, which I still think might happen, then it'll be time to scoop him up and think about using him. But for now, um, it's it's, it's just a 50-50 split right down the middle. Yeah, I'm not expecting it because there are lots of Cowboys observers that like Dalton Schultz and are talking about his improvements over the past couple of years. I think this is just going to be a spot where they're more like Dallas Goddard and uh, Zach Ertz with lower ceilings. All right, we'll see. Hope you're wrong. <laughs> I, I kind of hope I'm wrong, too. Both running backs, of course, are in play. I do buy Tony Pollard continuing to get chances, probably yeah. not quite to the same degree that he got last week. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see you work. I mean – you know, Zeke still is dominating in, in snaps and, and pass routes, but like when Pollard's on the field, it looks like it, he, he's on the field to get the ball. Um, and po- you know, Pollard looks better than Zeke to me. Um, so I'm curious to see if his role continues to grow at Zeke's expense. For now, Pollard's like an RB3 flex, and Zeke's still an RB1 territory, um, you know, getting the work he is in that offense. But again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pollard starts to get more work and Zeke starts to get a bit less. Definitely something we will be monitoring Monday night and looking beyond that. That's going to do it for this week three preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com. Now you can see our full week three rankings to help you finalize those lineup decisions. You can check the My Teams page for customized lineup recommendations, plus the Who Should I Start tool, the free agent finder, trade partner navigator, lots more things to help you set winning lineups each week. You can also find us anytime in the free Draft Sharks Discord. You can find the link to join that in the description for this podcast, wherever you're consuming it. For Jared Smoll and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 